Hey guys, welcome once again to the Happy Haven Podcast. Today we had Kevin McNally on, epic actor from so many of our beloved franchises. Everything from Doctor Who to Supernatural to AMC's The Turn, and most notably as Gibbs on Pirates of the Caribbean. Had a great time talking to him. He is a wonderful human being. So open, great conversation. So without further ado, I'm going to get out of your way and let you enjoy Kevin McNally. Hi there. Hi. I promise it's just noon. I just I uh I go upstairs so that I can have the quiet. <laughs> right. Yeah, well I got a son rehearsing for his first gig downstairs, so I'm upstairs too. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Uh what, what is it music or music, yeah. What kind? Him and a few that are playing their first gig tonight at my local public house. Oh, that's awesome. So- well, I'm I'm more nervous about that than if I was performing. I have to say, I actually, yeah. I mean, I I did uh, I did a lot of drama club stuff earlier in life, and now that I have kids, when I've I've noticed when they go do something, I'm so much more invested in their performance than my own. Absolutely, yes. <laughs> but um, thank you for your time, first of all, uh, most definitely. You're welcome. It's uh. It's kind of a big honor to talk to you. I've uh, there's so many things that you've done over the years that I've been a fan of, and so when you actually said yes, I like looked at my wife. I was like, I've got Woodhall's dad, and she was <laughs> she was so happy. Well, that's wonderful. Oh, oh yeah, we, I'm back. No, you're good. I don't. There yeah, the, 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 I don't do this like a, a newspaper reporter. It's as it's as laid back and informal as I can make it. I've done every episode like that, and it seems to serve me well. Right. To uh, not be stodgy or try to come off like I'm more than I am. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just a big fan who uh, finally got the unction to start a podcast. and. Actually- well, that's great. Um, I think they're really good things. It's great for people to be able to, if you know, if, if they if they do like somebody's work, to be able to sort of, see an informal chat with them. I think it's nice. It's like, uh, it's a bit like doing the Comic-Cons that I do. I think people really, really enjoy that way of, of, of meeting the, the people who are in the shows they like. Yes, exactly. I, I That's why I love this format and, and the way I do it. So Yeah. To start off, though, I mean, I, I do have questions, but it's just not as, as formal as others. Um, I, was look- sure. I was looking through and... Um, the Doctor Who crowd would know that you were in uh, Doctor Who. That's right. Colin Baker's very first episode. I, uh, there's a wonderful man um, uh, over here called Tony Haddock, and uh, he it does podcasts. He's trying to – he's got a lifelong project to do podcasts with uh, every person who's ever been in Doctor Who who's still alive. Wow. And he eventually got around to me. And he was very nervous and shifty. And uh, I said to him, look, before we start, I want you to know that I know that the episode of Doctor Who I was in is universally regarded as the worst episode of Doctor Who ever made. And he went, I'm so glad you said that because it was... <laughs> but no, you were, you were uh, Hugo Lang, right? For you, Twin Dilemma. That's right. Oh, you know well, what? I tell you, great memories for me because, um, you know, I see Colin a lot on the... Um, on the convention service uh, um, circuit, and he's a wonderful man. And it also gave me the opportunity to work with one of England's greatest actors, who sadly is no longer with us now, Morris Denham, who was a, a wonderful actor and whose career in movies I had I had loved as a kid. That's amazing. But I mean, still, I mean, if you look at where <clears throat> Doctor Who is today, and it's, it's we, yeah, we, you know, you ran around Doctor. <laughs> I know we used to do it with just a, a very old TARDIS and the cardboard boxes. I think is what they made the set out of in those days. And to see it now with you know with these big high production values is uh, it's just sensational. It's a great show. Yeah, but that's still. I mean, that's a big benchmark for for you know British uh, film history is is to be able to say that you are a part of of Doctor Who. So. Yes, and I'm really glad that I, I got one in I mean, back in the day because it, it, it has a certain cachet now as well, having been in the old the old video ones, you know. <clears throat> I, I know that many, 
many Doctor Who fans at the conventions will come and, and ask me about what it was like making them in those days. And uh, I tell them, you know, we did them in a week. We rehearsed for a week and then we recorded it over the course of three hours on Saturday night. You know, it was um, it was a wonderful, a, a wonderful time, actually. And I remember um, <clears throat> I was making a television series at um, the BBC when my Doctor Who was on. And uh, I didn't see it for years because nobody at the BBC could find a television that was tuned into BBC at the BBC. So <laughs> I came out. Um, I think they might have rectified that now. I'm not sure. That's crazy. <laughs> That's crazy. No. <clears throat> so what initially got you into acting? Did, did you do theater work first and then transition or was it straight to TV and film? <clears throat> I'd always, um, no, I'd always done... Um, theater at school and I was lucky enough uh, to uh, a, a youth theater started in my <clears throat> in my city when I was um, 15 or 16 and I was lucky enough that we did quite a good production the first time and the man who ran the local repertory theater was looking for a young actor to play a range of parts over the course of the year and he offered me the job so at 16 I got offered this job at my local rep theater I I left school um, uh, he was furious because he felt he'd, you know, he'd put another young actor out on the dole. So he kept me at the theatre for the whole year and said he would uh, give me audition speeches and stuff and, and, and told me I had to promise him to go to drama school and get trained because he didn't want me to end up being a child actor. He wanted me to train and come out at 20 and, you know, and start life as a proper actor. But when I came out, um, at first of all, a, a slew of... Uh, of um, of television work and film work. Uh, and I had to really sort of force myself to, to go back and do some good stage work because I didn't really just want to be a television actor, which at the time uh, in England was, 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 was sort of um, slightly undignified. You know, you had to be a theater actor who did television. Um, these things have all changed now. But to this day, I, I, I try to do as much theater as possible because it, it takes you back to that communication with an audience that you need to remind yourself. I always feel that if you do theatre, an actor learns, but doing television and film, uh, an actor just shows what he knows. So uh, it's it's a very important thing to do, at least once every couple of years, if I can. I like that answer a lot. <laughs> you just came off of um, you, you just recently did King Lear, right? No, uh, oh. I have not been King Lear yet. I'm in the middle of rehearsing King Lear, which is oh, why okay. You find, why you find me on my bed with ah. my script in hand? Um, panicking, keep, keeping my head into it every minute that, that God sends, and why I still have the beard. Um, and why, <laughs> gotcha. why I've got, as we say, um, my head's on upside down. I feel that way a lot, actually. <laughs> <laughs> but um, for me, um, of course, everybody knows the, the Pirates franchise. And, right. you know, I mean, who doesn't? Those movies are amazing. And they've been around for, for a while now, and, and they still draw a huge crowd each time they come out. But um, you've tickled my nerd bone on multiple things, because you've got the, the Doctor Who connection. Uh, my 19-year-old daughter is completely obsessed with Supernatural. And oh, right. you were a big guy. I mean, good look, like, to the point where most girls want, like, really pretty cars for their first car. She wants an Impala. Uh, <laughs> um, and then um, for me, I, I'm an avid video gamer. Uh, always have oh, been since I was five years old. And I saw Super Mario for the first time and was like, oh, um, you you were involved in Assassin's Creed 3. That's right. Yes, I played. Um, uh, well, I, it, it was a, it was a, a real leap for me to play a drunken sailor. <laughs> <laughs> But um, so so, how how different was that compared to doing stage or or, or screen work to, to do voiceover and and did did they have you do mocap or was it just the I, voice? I I didn't do mocap I did uh, head capture uh, eye oh capture, okay um which is really weird you sort of feel like a, a sort of a, a giraffe walking around uh, <laughs> the studio and it's the first time I've done that I've done a lot of voice work on all the the Disney um the the parts of the Caribbean games um it's completely different from anything else because of course you don't interact with anybody um 
you merely see this script and you do your lines as best you can. And um, you've got a very, I certainly had a very slim idea of uh, Assassin's Creed. My, my son had played the first one, but uh, as you probably know, uh, this, this was a completely different story and they're all different stories. So um, it was slightly mystifying uh, to me and uh, I, I, they sent me a copy and, I, and I, I watched my son play it which was quite fun to do. That's kind of cool. <laughs> you kind of rib him a little bit like, there's your old man. <laughs> there I am. I think you thought that was slightly cooler than anything else I'd done, actually. You know, I've been to games. Well, you, you yourself are a gamer, you know. Oh, yeah. I mean, I I, um, I don't know. I, I, I remember when the Nintendo came out in the early 80s. Um, I was born in 81, so by the time... Um, they actually put it in more stores than just New York. Because when the Nintendo first came out, they only sent it, I think, to New York and Los Angeles. Were the only two oh, cities yeah. yeah, here who could get them. And then a couple years later, it, it hit the mass market, and video games have right. been what they are ever since. But I remember well, telling... Well, you're, you're uh, only one year older than my stepson. And um, so although I didn't have video games when I was a kid... Um, from about the time you're talking onwards, I mean, I bought right from the well. It was a Spectrum in the in the 70s that I know a family member had, and then there was the Atari, yep. and then the Nintendo. So I bought every Nintendo, every Xbox that has ever been made. You know, um, although I, of course, am of that generation that need uh, a keyboard and a mouse to play my video games. Although they've got some nice ones on this. I'm I'm on a nice iPad Pro here. And I'm going through Nova 3 for the for the third time. Oh, yeah, I've played game. that, yeah. yeah. Cool, yeah, yeah, it's cool. It's kind of scary well, for I, me. I, I gamed most, um, I think, in the late 90s and early 2000s. I just completely loved all the Star Wars games that I could get on my on my desktop. Uh, uh, you know, Jedi Academy, Jedi, Jedi Outcast. They, they, I, I, they were a revelation to me because they were like, telling the story of your own movie, you know, affecting the storyline of movies. And there's still, a, I, I, I played them, them both again last year while I was away filming in Virginia, and uh, I, I got as obsessed as I did the first time they came out. <laughs> it, it gets scary. many two hours in playing it, you know. Did you ever get to play, um, if, if you like computer gaming more than console, did you ever get to play Knights of the Old Republic? Yes, yes, of course. That was the first one that um, uh, I saw, I loved that. And I'm, I suppose, of the generation of uh, all the Doom ones, uh, Quake. Doom, uh, Quake, the, Wolfenstein. And I, I love the science fiction-based ones. In fact, it's... it's um, the, the, I, I mean, I, I've done a, a, many things that I've enjoyed doing, but I, I'm really um, upset that uh, Doctor Who was my last science fiction adventure. I really would like to... Um, I really would like to do uh, more science fiction. I've actually, my first novel's coming out this year. Oh, my. A com- yeah, comedy science fiction book. Because um, I'm obsessed with sci-fi. I just absolutely love it. Always have. It's the only, really the only novels I read are science fiction books, you know. Did you get to read uh, Ready Player One? Yes, yeah. I love that. See, I, I was born in 81. Yeah. So, I mean, I can say I'm an 80s kid, but really... I was an early kid in the 80s. I mean, I didn't hit 10 till you know, 91. No. But, I mean, to see everything from that generation become relevant again has been kind of crazy. Oh, I'm here. Hello, Jason. Oh, that's okay. I got yeah, it. You were saying you were 91. Yeah, so I was born in 91. I mean, 81, and... By the time I hit 12 and 10 and stuff could really influence me, you know, it was almost like a golden age. Uh, Jurassic Park and the Terminators and all this stuff was coming out. And uh, it's just crazy to see now the amount of relevancy of the stuff that was back then. I mean, there's a new Blade Runner coming. Uh, Star Trek's back in the forefront. There's new Star Wars movies. They just finished a Jurassic Park movie. It, it's just... It's kind of like a heyday for sci-fi right now. Yeah, it really is, isn't it? It's great. I love it. Me too. Me too. Very much. And so, I mean, there's definitely opportunity there then for you if you want to get in sci-fi. It seems to be the way a lot of entertainment well, is. Well, met J.J. Abram twice, and he's never said anything. <laughs> oh, have you really? 
Yeah. Um, I'm a good friend of Zoe Saldana, and she um, she very kindly on the first Star Trek film um, sent me a couple of tickets for the premiere, so um, I get to meet him there. And then um, there was some award ceremony last year, um, and J.J. Abraham, I think, organizes it or something. So I, I got to meet him, which was pretty cool, meet him again. Um, but uh, I, I, didn't, I didn't hand him my photograph or CV. I thought that would be uncool. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh my gosh, Zoe Zaldana. I mean, uh, I mean, she's what Ahura and Gamora. I know. Oh man, <laughs> I haven't seen the second Guardians. Of course, I first met her on the first first pirate film. She was in the first pirate film, and uh, that's right. And then did a while, but then she moved. She moved from New York to L.A. and never looked back. Brilliant. She's a wonderful actress. Oh yeah, I mean, I, I I wouldn't blame her. She's she's in some of the biggest franchises going around right now, and mm. just beloved world of course, worldwide. Avatar as well. Sir, and she's in Avatar, of course. As well. Yeah, and that's that's what the the they're I think they've already either finished it or they're filming the the sequel now. Yeah, that's right. I think they just finished. Yeah, that's crazy. So for 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 me, how was um? Oh, there we go. Hold on. Hooray! Right. Um. I forgot what I was going to ask for a second because the computer popped up an option and it completely derailed. <laughs> Thank God for <laughs> editing. Yes. <laughs> so um. How 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 did you end up uh? How did it come about that you ended up on Supernatural for for a, a run on that show? Well, um, I became a resident uh, of the States in uh, 2011. So before you're a resident, um, the only jobs as an English person you can go for really are for leads in films or regular parts in TV shows because only then would a company pay for you to get a visa to work there. But once I became a resident of the States... Um, I could go up for episodic television, and this part came around for Supernatural. And I, I had never heard of the show um, because it's shown in England on some obscure cable channel. And um, and I went up and did it, and it was, of course, a wonderful character. And yes. uh, and then the buggers killed me off, um, which was such a shame because <laughs> I, I I just enjoyed it. It was. One of those wonderful, crazy characters that you can just really get your teeth into and chew the furniture, you know. Yeah, I mean, for I, that show is going on, I think, like season 411 over here at this point. And I think they've killed everyone off except for, no, you can't even say they've killed both of them, too. They just have some magical resurrection plot device over and over again. I know. But uh, It's extraordinary, yeah. I, I just, I mean, I remember when it came out and... I, I watched the first couple seasons, and then I just fell off because there's so much to consume right now. But my, like, like I said, my oldest daughter kept up with it, and she had to go to work um, today. She actually works as a chocolatier. Um, she has, oh yeah, she has like the one of the coolest first jobs I've ever. Um, she works at an actual chocolatier shop at like a specialty mall here. Really loves it. Is so invested, she's actually taking a trip to Jacksonville, Florida, to go to their corporate headquarters on her own just to see how it runs That's at the great. top. Well, I, I wish her the very best with that. I know, right? So when I told her, she was like, are you talking to the Supernatural guy today? I was like, I am. I'll let you since you get home. And she was like, That's so awesome. And it, it's very rare for my 19-year-old to think anything I do is ever awesome. <laughs> no, it gets tougher as time goes on as well, let me tell you. I, I've got an 11-year-old. I, I think when they get older and they realize how difficult life is, they start to find you quite uh, impressive again. <laughs> I think, yeah, I'm, I'm waiting till her mid-20s, which is when I pulled my head out of my rear end. <laughs> but for now, my 11-year-old still thinks I'm cool no matter what I do, so I'll, oh, I'll, I'll take that while it lasts. Is is that a daughter or a son? I have two daughters. I have all girls. Wow. I am good luck with that. Oh, <laughs> look! I grew up in a house of all boys, and uh, the good Lord's sense of humor thought it'd be funny to stick me in a house of all women for the rest of my life. 
<laughs> yeah, calm as a bitch, ain't it? <laughs> it really is. But I, you know, I don't know what though. It's it's done a lot to soften. I Me, mean, I grew up very punk rock in Boston and probably people who listen to the show are probably like, oh god, he's gonna talk about. I was in a band, but no, I, <laughs> again, but I mean, I was in punk bands and I skateboarded and, you know, did all. Right. I, I personally, I, I love the company of women and I'm in the production of King Lear at the moment. We're, um, it's a very woman heavy casting and uh, I enjoy uh, the influence that uh, a female environment has on any venture that you do. Me too. Um, I, I don't like too many men in a room. <laughs> no, me either. I think it would weird me out now at this point in my life. <laughs> well, you've become completely feminized, so, you know. I am. You know, like, they weaponized shit. They feminized you. Yeah, they did. <laughs> they did. <laughs> so, um, I do have to bring up, you did an episode of Last Man Standing. Yes. That is probably... In the past couple of years, that has probably become my favorite sitcom legitimately that's come out in a long time. Oh, that's good. I, I, I've never seen it, I have to say. And I actually wasn't really in it. It was a very strange circumstance. I, um, it was my voiceover agent said, would you go and do this, this episode of a sitcom. And I said, I don't, I really understand. She said, you'll understand when you get there. And I was merely in, I was in the pilot episode as an English um, uh, voiceover on a wildlife show. But it was really cool to go along and see it. And uh, it seemed to have a lot of legs. And uh, what is it, season five, six now? It's on season six. And there's some controversy. Um, unfortunately, um, as you know, uh, our society can't see. I do seem to go five minutes without yelling at each other over something. And he went he went on a talk show and compared Hollywood to um, Nazi occupied Berlin. Uh, <laughs> if you're if you're if you're not a, a a balls out liberal, and apparently the network didn't like that, and they've pulled the show. The problem is is numbers-wise, it was their highest-ranked show for a Friday. Um, right. So they really, like, it kind of made the studio look kind of crappy because you're like, well, they're your number one ad seller, they're your number one viewership, they're your number one this, number one that. And so now, like, a bunch of channels, I guess, are scrambling to buy it. There's all these online petitions because I got to meet you through social media, and social media has afforded me the chance to talk to awesome people. But every sword has two edges, and the other edge of that is, is if you don't do something I like, I can start a petition and a bunch of people will start muckraking. Um, so, like, that's right. what happened to the show, and it's like, it was like the one bastion of escape that was just like, all the noise went. Well, I, 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 was, I was unaware of that story. That's really interesting. Yeah, I mean, and you could tell he was just being, like, he was being snarky. You know, as an answer, there, there wasn't a lot of levity, and I mean, well, gravity to the thought, but do you know? Well, it's the part. I mean, I've lived in America off and on for ten years now, and um, I think it's true of most Western society. I, I don't know why people keep on getting upset all the time. You know, there are various shades of thought, but it does seem well, particularly now. You know, with uh, the division between uh, the Republicans and the Democrats, it seems like. You're either one thing and the other. There seems no room for any sort of discussion about anything. Anymore. I know, and, and I am one of those ones in the middle. I don't belong to a political party. I gave that fiasco up a while ago, and I yeah. just—it it boggles my mind that one side accuses the other of being something of something, while taking on the behaviors, actions, and mood of what they're accusing the other side of being. Well, exactly. And, of course, in life, it's crazy. I mean, I have, you know, I have friends who were so far left, you know, they'd, they'd fit into a communist Russia back in the day. And I've got some very right-wing right friends, you know. But um, it's interesting. There would be things that both of them would b believe that I'd go, yeah, I agree with that. And a lot with both of them. I'd say I don't agree with that. But I, I'm, I'm not going to fall out with you about it, you know. 
if you if you want to, you know, have, have a little sensible chat over a bottle of wine about it, that'd be lovely. But why, let's talk about Star Trek instead. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> See, and, and that's adding them. That's the attitude I usually take. I'll, I'll put something snarky up. You've seen me on Twitter. I'll I'll get political once in a while, but it's it's something that that emotionally bothers me, or something, anything that that affects the military. Um, I was airborne infantry for a very short time. I am right. a grizzled GI Joe action hero that you know some people try to be. Um, in fact, I usually downplay it. Um, right. But stuff that affects the military, I do get very passionate about. And sure, I understand that. Yeah. Stuff that affects, like, you know, people's lives, safety, um, you know, I'll, I'll get involved with. But, like, when you see them announce uh, a movie coming out, a completely fictional movie, and you see the world set itself on fire on two different sides, and you're like, Guys, they're gonna roll credits on that, and that's it. And then you wait for the DVD. You you are literally yeah. burning each other's houses down over fictional <laughs> characters. Like it's supposed to be an escape. I don't want to have to escape you. You know. I know. <laughs> well, of course, social media is just a hotbed for hotheads. You know, I I, oh. I keep saying to myself, you know. Come eight o'clock and the bottle of wine gets popped, I really have to shut my computer down and not I don't say anything you. because I get into so much trouble. Because I'll just see something that'll infuriate me and I start cussing and swearing and calling everyone every name under the sun. And my my kids will text me and say, Dad, Dad, get off social media. Okay, just get off. <laughs> see, me and you are very similar in that. I like to think of myself as level headed. But I'll yeah. see something fly by on Twitter and I'm like I, I have to say so. I, like I have to, I have to be an asshole now, and I don't want to be. But you know, like, so, well, you and I had an exchange with someone else once, and it went funny. Yes, we did. Yeah, we. I can't remember what it was about. You see, I can't even remember what it was about. Now. It was about something political. But for you and I being able to come back to reason, I think it ended with yeah. both of us making medieval flagellation jokes and sharing. Monty Python monks hitting themselves. Oh, no, that, that's, yes, that's what it was, yeah. <laughs> that's what it was. Which I wish people it would was, take more no, example of. Yes, man. <laughs> that's what it was. Like, you know, at, we ended up, I think, being the knights who say, <laughs> a shrubbery. <laughs> uh, don't get me started. I'll go through the whole movie with you. My, my wife loved that movie until she met me. No, you ruined it for her. Huh? I did, because I... Can't, every time something happens when we're outside, uh, I end up finding I, some sort of quote. I, like I'm in the process at the moment of destroying the film The Odd Couple for every young actor I work with because uh, as soon as I get bored, I just become Walter Matter. <laughs> I, uh, I do too. But it's the cooking, it's the cleaning. <laughs> I have become it took me two weeks to work out that F U stood for a few weeks longer. <laughs> wow, you actually do a really good Walter Matthau. Oh, I love I my my hone my Walter Matthau. Yeah. I can tell you though, one of my favorite movies he did, and people can look down on it or not, was his uh the Dennis the Menace he did in the nineties. Oh, where he played Mr. Wilson. Brilliant. Brilliant. Mr. Wilson, yeah. Brilliant. I saw everything he did. I mean, he, uh, it's the scene with the little boy who's cross-eyed, Gunther or whatever, and he's, your daddy's taking you to the ice cream store. And he runs off and Mrs. Wilson, I think Joan Plowright played Mrs. Wilson in that. She did, yeah. yeah and she, did. she, George. He's going to be very disappointed. And he turns to her with no sympathy for the child at all. And he goes, he better get used to disappointed. He's a foot short for his age and he's cross-eyed. Like, that, <laughs> that killed me. It's oh, I'll have, you see, you brew, I'll have to watch that again now. Oh, I'll have to watch. My, my favorite line from The Odd Couple is when uh, uh, Jack Lemon goes off crying and they're all trying to ignore him and, he goes into the bathroom and he goes, he's taking his pills. <laughs> and Matt goes, they could be vitamins. He could be the healthiest one among us. <laughs> Does, did you see? All right, so that means you've seen the Grumpy Old Men movies. Oh, I love those. Things. Oh, my gosh. Those are, those were the highlights of my 90s movies for, for comedy. Were those, yeah, they were great. Um, great. Those two, what a team. With the IRS guy. 
towards the end trying to go after Jack Lemmon's character and uh he's he's just there's like there's no polish to him at all and and I love that they wrote his characters like that because the IRS guy's explaining and he's like Gunderson straight as a grizzly's dick like he just (laughs) so for me in the 90s I wasn't quite yet an adult so language like that was still like (gasps) but and then later on when he yells at him and he's I'm trying to help you you dumb friggin Swede like yeah Walter Matthau is uh, was a definitely a comedic highlight for me but and he was also extraordinary in that he you know he did really serious movies as well you know um what's that wonderful um that char- charlie varick charlie, yeah you know, great heist movie i mean it's wonderful uh, he's a wonderful well, he was a wonderful actor he really i was. would love to have got to work with him i mean jack lemon oh most definitely they actually were showing mm-hmm. um oh uh turner classic movies here i think friday so yesterday, either yesterday or Thursday night, we're running some like it hot. I know. I uh, I, I saw the adverts. I was watching Turner Classic Movies this morning. Excuse me, this morning, and uh, I see that I just missed it. But I think they're showing it again next week. They so, are. I was actually. I only ever watch Turner Classic Movies. That's all I. Right. Well, I'm I'm 36, and I'd rather watch Turner Classic Movies because apparently I've embodied the spirit. Brilliant. Of, <laughs> um, they were having yeah. a Hitchcock night. The other night, and it was. Um, I watched. I watched Family Plot this morning. Did you? I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I caught. I love William De- and um, and Karen Black and. Yes. Uh, the, who was the guy who's the lead in it? I can't remember his name. Um, but yeah, I think you're really seventy-two. <laughs> no, yeah, because I mean, uh, we finished up Vertigo, and they were playing. Um, was it uh, North by Northwest? And yeah, <sighs> yeah. Back, oh man, it was. No, it wasn't Gary Cooper. What's his name? No, no, no. It's um, no. I don't think Gary Cooper. No, it wasn't. I got it's um, Carrie Grant. Carrie Grant. That's right. Um, yeah. So uh, like a wonderful actor. I, I I like the. I mean, we watch all the superhero stuff and the pirates movies and King Kong and I mean, we watch all the big spectacle movies. But if I'm home relaxing, that's the kind of movie uh, that you know I'm gonna sit around and. And, of course, the great thing about Turner Classic, I actually, um, uh, Turner Classic Movies is not so good here as it is in the States. Um, I, I, I think they haven't quite got the volume of, um, of films. But it, it is wonderful to sit down, you know, when I have a bit of time off and put on a movie and a Bette Davis movie will come on that I've either never seen or I haven't seen in 40 years. You know, right. It's just, it's so heartwarming. And, you know, in that golden age of Hollywood, which is, of course, the center of the late 30s, 40s. Um, God, there were some great films. Yes, there were. In fact, um, one night I I couldn't sleep, and this was a couple years ago. I just, I I couldn't sleep. And I went downstairs, and they were running these old war movies on Turner Turner Classic Movies. And it was, was it Stalag 17 or Stalag? Yeah, yeah. I can't find it anywhere. Um, even if it's on DVD, I have had no luck finding it. I, I absolutely adored that movie. And it's a World War One, the horrors of trench warfare movie, really. But I absolutely adored it, and I can't find it anywhere to own it. Are you sure that was Starlight 17? Because I thought that was set in the Second World War. Maybe it was. But I know it was Stalag Seven. I don't. I just know that I absolutely fell in love with the movie. And, and you can't. Well, it's terrible when that happens, isn't it? I, you know, I there's a number of films I've been looking for for years that I can't find. Um, they some of them just sort of drop out of the ether, don't they? They just drop through the radar. Um, but TCM has got such a, a, a great library; you'd never run out. And and also, they're films that you can watch again and again. Yeah, well, my 19-year-old has a hardcore crush on Robert Mitchum. <laughs> well, she's and I, she's no mean judge. <laughs> no, but I, I, it's it developed years ago, and I don't think me and my wife had the heart to be like, well, sweetie, like, you know, like the, the, those aren't exactly movies coming out right now. This is. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> 
But you know, I was looking at Facebook earlier today, and uh, that somebody had a thing about um, movies that were made in the 40s and 50s that looked like they could have been made yesterday. And one of them was Night of the Hunter um, with uh, Robert Mitchum, of course, Charles Lawton's only um, directorial effort. And it, it is. It's like it's like a modern movie. It's great. Mm-hmm. All of the feelings and the way it's shot. It's just wonderful. Well, that's just it. I mean, th- there was so much more imagination needed then. Now, you know, I mean, m- movies, yes, they're they're beautiful now, and, and the acting level hasn't gone down, but there's the imagination of bringing it to screen, um, unless a movie consciously chooses practical effects, it's so much easier yeah. to rely on, well, you guys do the thing, talk to the tennis ball on a stick, and we'll add it all in later. Yeah, I know. It's... Um it, it certainly doesn't make uh, making movies. Uh, it, it makes making movies less enjoyable. Um, I'm sure it does because I know it makes watching them I, not as. You know, I said about this book I've got coming out. I, I, I'd love to do a screenplay of it and maybe try to make it into like quite a low budget film. And I thought, wouldn't it be great to go and find all the old guys who did Star Wars, Star Trek, uh, 2001: A Space Odyssey? get those guys and, and get them at least to pass their skills on and do a totally analog space film. Oh, my gosh. Because if you look at 2001 now, nobody has ever created space scenes that look like they're in space the, the way Stanley Kubrick did. No, they don't. With all of the CGI, that looks like it's shot in space. It's absolutely extraordinary. I and mean, it's just beautiful. It's a work of art, of course, really. So c- c- can you talk about the book at all? I don't... If it's not out yet, I don't... Yeah, yeah well, let's a, do that. It's a, it's, a, it's a comedy book about two genius uh, students um, who uh, are inventing a new rocket system. <clears throat> There's brewing tensions between Earth and the uh, colony on Alpha Centauri. And basically, uh, everybody wants their technology, so they get kidnapped. And uh, they get caught by a bounty hunter. They get caught by all sorts of people. And they're, they're sort of chased around the, the, the solar system. And then eventually Earth thinks that they voluntarily went to these people. So they're, they're being chased by Earth. And um, they realize the only way they can get out of this is by destroying the ship that's installed, that, that enslaved them and made them build a motor for it. Um, so they end up with the help of um, uh, Helot 8, which is a, a, a robot. Um, they they try to make everything right again. So it's it, it's sort of it's a chase around the solar system, really. Wow! And uh, I hope it's rather funny. Well, it makes me laugh anyway. Why when is um, do you have an availability date? Because that's actually sounds like something I would read. <laughs> um, well, uh, it um, it's going to come out um, in October. Um, I don't know whether it will come out in America in October, but I'll make sure that it gets out there. <laughs> Um, as soon as possible. Is there a way to pre-order it? Is there a, a service where we can pre-order copies? No, because at the moment, um, my uh, publisher um, is editing it, do, doing an edit on it. I've seen a couple of chapters, and he's d- doing a great, grand job. He's not destroying the book, he's, but he's helped, he put some things, and I go, oh, that's really helpful. That makes that more understandable. And when he's done it all, we'll have a look at some artwork, and then uh, we're just talking about trying to do a launch here in England, uh, maybe October when I finished King Lear. That's exciting. No, I'd like it to come out before Christmas. That would be very good. Yeah, yeah but that, that's awesome, man. That's like so exciting. No, I'm, I'm stoked about it, yeah. I would be. I would be. So, okay, so now we come to the turn, which was my main right. reason for I, – I, I see why I do the show. Like I called you – I reached out so we could do the turn. I've actually had way more fun talking about the other stuff before we even got to the (laughs) end. But I will say that uh, the show this year, and um, I'm going to put a spoilers thing uh, in the text for it. That that way me and you can just talk and people who haven't watched it yet or maybe haven't gotten turned on to the show and don't want to have it surprised will know um, what they're getting into. But uh, this year, um, one of the few moments – that my wife and I at the same time screamed and came off the couch <laughs> at the same time. Uh, the, the, the attack at, at, at the, uh, at the mill, the uh, mill. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, my that wife was, uh, cried. 
that's and sweet. I got a little choky in my throat too. Um, that's yeah. sweet, thank you. It was very emotional to do it actually, um, although very exciting, you know, because I, I hadn't really done much in the way of action in the show, being you know more of a sort of a cerebral character. So to actually get involved with all the stunt guys and the, the armors and things was extraordinary. And and I was also um, very pleased that they, you know, they killed me off with such dignity and love and care, you know. Right. And and it was lovely to have then another episode in which I was dead during the whole episode, in which was very emotional with him, you know, salting me and trying to, you know, actually getting into what, what did you do if somebody got killed away from home back in those days? There weren't any morgues. There wasn't any ice. Oh, um, but they were salting. Really, yeah. Salt, they salted me. Yeah, like They salted me like a ham. And a lot of people would say that there's a very apt word to use about me. <laughs> but no, so um, we, we came into the show in the first season a little late and we, we went back and watched it on demand and got caught up. That is an intense TV show. It is. It is. Beautiful. And you know, it, it's taught me a, a big lesson about <clears throat> the way people watch television nowadays. Because when it came out, I was quite disappointed that it had very low viewing figures. I had not been used to these sort of low viewing figures because I, I'd never done a cable show before. And uh, <clears throat> and then, so I was very surprised that it got uh, uh, recommissioned, and indeed for four years got recommissioned. <clears throat> but a really strange thing happened. I travel a lot in America. Um, it started in the first season. I was sitting in a bar in New York, and somebody came up to me and said, oh, man, I just love Turn. I think it's great. I love your character. And I thought, oh, well, that's – I found the one person in New York who watches Turn, and it happens to me all the time. Wherever I go in the States, somebody will come up and say, oh, we just love Turn. So there's something very different about the way television is watched now. And, and – a couple of producers said to me, the thing is nobody is really caught up with how and whether shows are popular anymore. Because to just see how many people tune in on the night it's out is plainly a ridiculous anomaly nowadays. When was the last time you rushed home from a restaurant because your program was on and you wanted to turn it on? Exactly. We don't behave in that way. Everything gets recorded. Or, or people who don't have we cable can stream it. With stuff. Right. And stream. Yeah, I mean, I have friends that don't even have cable, but they're up on all the shows I watch because they stream it all. So, yeah, it, it's kind of – I think – I think. Uh, what, what is it? The, the Nielsen company, Nielsen. they are probably having to be talked off of ledges quite often because the whole rating system means nothing now. No, nothing. You're right, because maybe 100,000 people – what, what I asked a question of an executive at AMC about why – we, why they commissioned Turn for four years. And he said a really interesting thing he, he said to me. He said, if this was a show about uh, today, about 2016 as it was then, he said, I have no idea whether it will age or not. I don't know what its shelf life will be. I don't know whether I'll be packaging this in three years' time. But he said, with Turn, it's an historical piece. It can be watched forever. It won't age because it's already a period piece. So I, we can be selling this. I mean, unless something dramatic changes and television becomes holographic, then we can be selling this to people uh, in perpetuity. Right. It, it's a product that will have a revenue stream. So um, that's all to be taken into account. So did, did you do a filming primarily in Virginia, or were you actually on the, the locations as it goes from Setauket no. to... No, it was all it was all in Virginia. In Virginia. Because it's set, as you know, at Long Island in New York, but there's nowhere there um, where no. you could where you could film. But of course, uh, Virginia, <clears throat> we're in Richmond, Virginia, has um, wonderful um, uh, antebellum um, uh, architecture, you know, and the colonial look. So we 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 we, we were spoiled for places to shoot in, and of course. Um, uh, a lot of interiors were built. There's, there were great crews in Virginia. So it was the ideal uh, place to shoot it. It was great for me because I'm a big uh, American Civil War buff. Beautiful course, place to be then. <clears throat> oh, just fantastic. I mean, you're surrounded by <clears throat> memories and museums and, and, you know, in Yorktown and Williamsburg. I mean, it's just it's it's a, just a 
for anybody who's into history, it's, you know, every weekend it's like, I know what I'm doing this weekend. I'm going to go and find another plantation, you know, and look around it. You know. See, that was me growing up. I, I live in Atlanta now, but I'm actually a New England native. Um, I was born in, oh, right. yeah, I grew up in a place called Taunton, Massachusetts, which was founded in 1639. Wow. So, well, I mean, you're in England. It's it's 1639. They're like, oh, that's young. But um, <laughs> but for me, it, it I grew up a history buff. Yeah, Shakespeare would already be dead for 20 years by then. Exactly. <laughs> but for me, I, I grew up, and, and it it definitely um, established a, a a love for for history in me. I mean, it was. I mean, I'd get on my bike and ride for 10 minutes, and I hit um, what's called the the Taunton Green. And where I grew up is actually named after Taunton, England. They just didn't put new in front of it like they did with everything right. else over here. Um, and right. the green, uh, Washington gave a recruitment speech there. Like that's where the, you know, that's where the history from from that point on. Kennedy campaigned there. So-and-so stayed there. Da, da, da. And they've got all these memorials starting with, I think, even before the Revolutionary War, they've got these military tributes around this, this this little central park in town. And, you know, as a kid, you grow up and you're like, well, what's a doughboy? You know, you see the right. doughboy statue, you study what the doughboys are. Well, what's a Minuteman? Well, then you study what the Minuteman is. And, right. you know, there's, there's a historic district in town that's maintained to look a certain way um, by, people, by a historical society. And, and I just grew up you know, in the river of it, um, t- uh, 20 minute drive from where my parents had their house when I was growing up was Miles Standish Industrial Park, which was built on the site of Fort Miles Standish. You know, so I mean, right. yeah, it's. I know. And, you know, and God bless America's historical societies because um, they they maintain and keep, I, you know, I know this from being in Virginia, maintain and keep uh, these places so beautifully and it, it's open to the public and it's there if you want it and i think everybody should go and avail themselves of it particularly in the area you come from you know to get an idea of the the history of, of you know of, of of your americanism i think it's wonderful right well that's the heartbreak of where i live is during the civil war you know sherman came down and burnt most of georgia's pre eight late 1800s history to the ground yeah, um, I was surprised, yeah. actually, um, at my own ignorance when I first moved here, and I took a road trip up through the Carolinas, and and we passed a place called King Mountain, and and I asked what it was, and found out that it was actually a Revolutionary War site. And my head, I didn't put it together that well, Georgia's been yeah, Georgia's been around since, you know, and and I, so I started studying Georgia's revolutionary history and found a whole new facet uh, of history to study down here. So right, right. So I mean, the turn. I've only been to Atlanta. I, I hope to to go there again because they they, they do a fantastic Comic Con every year, and I I had a fantastic time there. Dragon really Con. Was, the what? Is that, Dra- was, Dragon Dragon Con. Con. Yeah, that, that's our big one. Well, I got to cover MomoCon this year. Um, oh right. Yeah. I'm not quite there yet for a Dragon Con invite, but <laughs> yeah, you will be. You will be. My my wife's gone since she was a child. She's from here. Um, she right. she actually grew up here, and she said, uh, "I remember Dragon Con when it was in. It wasn't even in the city. It was I think in Norcross, and it was at a Marriott hotel." Wow. Um, and she said, "Sixty thousand people when I went there two years ago." Uh, yeah, it's like two hundred plus now, but you know, th- th- this was in the eighties for her, and she said, "I you know we're we're leaving." And there's Peter Davison sitting outside, not an event thing, just sitting outside, taking a breather. And she said, that's how I got to meet the doctor at the show that year. He was at a picnic bench outside this hotel, just Peter Davison just sitting there. And it's like one of her fondest <laughs> memories of, of ever is, you know, because she was big into Doctor Who. That was her and her father's thing was Doctor Who. He's still alive, but that was like, you know, that was her right, thing was sci-fi right. with him. Right. Brilliant. So it ain't the same now. They've got like multiple downtown hotels and conference halls and this and that. Yeah, I think the one I went to was taking place over three hotels. I think right in the middle there. It was extraordinary. Yeah, and the population. Very enjoyable. The yearly enjoyable. population goes up quite a bit. I, I do think this year they said something about being close to either 
200,000 or 200,000 plus people going. Wow. That's extraordinary. It's insane. Yeah. But it makes them fun. But it shows how much, you know, the stuff that, that, that you're, that, that you do like with pirates and the turn, I guarantee you there'll be somebody cosplaying there with, Oh yeah. You know, it's amazing. Um, how, how in touch we can now be with, you know, the actors and, and the content creators as fans and as... Yeah, yeah, it's, it's great. I mean, I'm amazed it's been going so long, but I think it was a lot smaller, as your wife said in the 80s. But now it's, it's, it's a wonderful conduit for, the, for, uh, for audiences and creators to meet. Um, I enjoy it very much, I have to say. It's, it's yeah, I, I love the fact that, that the community through social media, for all its ills, the benefits of social media are are the, the coming together of the people who make things, the people who act yeah. in things, and then the people who adore those things. It becomes a very yeah. important part of their life. You know, we all get to have a handshake now instead of, you know, just talking fondly of, of something. Yeah, I, it's, it's funny, but I, it's always running my so, blood a bit because my dad used to tell me that um, – and I, he lived in quite a shambolic household in Ireland, so it's a shame this never survived. But he was mad for the movies. They were a very poor family, and all they really spent their money on was going to the movies every Saturday. And he wrote to Hollywood and got all of his favorite stars signed photographs. Oh, that's amazing. And I remember saying to him just before he died, when I'd started to do this, I said, what happened to those photographs, man? Because what an amazing collection it would be now to have Bette Davis, Joan Crawford, Jimmy Cagney. So, I mean, perhaps they didn't sign them. Perhaps it was a man in an office who did it. But, you know, they're you know, genuine artifacts in the time. But still, yeah, no, that's a history. Yeah. That is a history. I mean, I've got, you know, it, a little different, but I've got, I have a, a comic book collection. You know, oh, and, nice. and like boxes and long boxes. And if I buy, I, I read everything on my computer or on my on my phone now because I've reached the point where if I bring any more copies of an actual comic in the house, my wife's going to make me build a new house out of those comics and live in them. Because um, <laughs> it, it, it dominates a lot yes, of space. Yes, I know what you mean. Um, I know. And, and I have, I have I, quite a nice collection of early um, early Fantastic Fours because I used to collect them when I was a kid. Because in those days... You know, you couldn't get them every week. So me and my friend used to cycle around the whole area that I lived in, going to all the news agents and just going through, you know, they bizarrely just get like 10 comics and going through and just trying to find a fantastic forward. And I think I pretty well got numbers 100 to 200. And people get to know it. So people give me fantastic four comics when I go to the comic cons, which is quite nice. I'll have to bring you some. If you get to Atlanta, no, I, I, will, I, will, I will. No, I will bring you some. That is awesome. The, the, though, if you're talking 100s to 200s, you are sitting on a miniature gold mine there. Uh, is that right? Yes, number 200. Actually, I've always wanted to get one to 100, but I think I, I can't even afford to buy one of them. You know, I mean, nowadays. No, I mean, you, you, you always hear like somebody was going through a storage unit or a relative passed, and they were going through the estate, and they're like, "Well, I found this this book," and then. Sotheby's gets a hold of it and it sells for like <laughs> five million dollars for this, <laughs> this, this book. I know. I know. We're all looking for that in the attic, aren't we? <laughs> we are. We are. Uh, my dad actually had. Um, they were hardbound, um, and they were little. They were only about this big, as opposed to a book, but they were thick. And it was these old. Um, one was Tom and Jerry. Uh, one was, yeah, one was Looney Tunes, one was Tom and Jerry, one was Popeye, and one was an old Batman. And they weren't comic books, dude. They were like these thick, thick hardcover, like, almost like um, an Archie comic. Like, so you go to the grocery store and they have these, like, you know, you go to the little... Thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but they were hardbound, and he had these, and I don't know what happened to them. I'm sure they'd be quite collectible today, because, I mean, they were, you know... They were old when he had them as a kid. There's all sorts of things, and the internet's a, a great uh, place to find out. I remembered recently that I used to collect um, these American Civil War bubblegum packs, and they, they would have uh, fake Confederate money in it, and there would be a couple of cards, and there was quite um, 
they were quite controversial at the time because they were very bloody. There were people being blown up and shot, and the people didn't think it was good for kids. And I thought, I bet nobody knows that now. And I, and I typed in American Civil War Confederate money cards. And there's this whole world out there. <laughs> it's crazy. Collect who've got all of them. Somebody's <laughs> looking for number 68. Somebody wants the picture of the Gettysburg Address. Some people who've got the original gum that was never eaten. And I thought, isn't that amazing? This is, ever since I collected when I was a kid, this has been going on for 50 years. It's, it's pretty awesome. Yeah, it's amazing. Okay, so I'm sure people listening are chomping at the bit because um, I haven't addressed it at all. But how did how did um, how did Pirates of the Caribbean come about? It, it's you know you're up to I think volume twenty comes oh. out next year, <laughs> and yeah, um, it came about because um, I was actually I'd been up for a lot of American movies at that time. And I was just sort of getting fed up because I, I was fed up of going up for American movies and then finding out that William Defoe or somebody really famous was playing the role in the end, as happened when I went up for Spider-Man to play the, the Green Goblin. Oh, my God, you were going to go Goblin? No, I was never going to be the Goblin, but I had to audition for it, you know. So I thought, oh, I thought I'm not bothering this. And it, the, the, the audition was on my birthday. It was my 40, uh, 45th birthday. And I got drunk in my back garden with a load of people. And somebody said to me, aren't you supposed to be going for an audition today? And I said, yeah, but it's for an American movie. I never get American movies. I'm not going to get this and I'm not wasting my time. And I'm not going to um, leave my birthday party. And they said, no, come on, you've got to do it. It's a, you know, it's a ticket in the lottery. I'll drive you there and drive you back. So I went in a little tipsy and they asked me to, I think it was read something about sea turtles, and I read it. And the next day, they offered me the job. It was absolutely extraordinary. I couldn't believe it. Um, you know, and then I thought, oh, a pirate film. You know, there hasn't been a pirate film since the 50s, or certainly hasn't been a successful pirate film since the 60s, since the 50s. So I thought, well, maybe it'll go straight to DVD. And then I find that Jeffrey Rush and Johnny Depp are doing it, and I think, whoa, <laughs> we might be onto something. Yeah. Of course, nobody could have appreciated the scale of its success and the fact that a new one was coming out 15 years later. Well, they're amazing though. I know it's incredible. I mean, they're, they're, they're they're visual spectacles, but you know, aside Hmm. from that, you know, I mean, you've you've got that Disney budget budget. Of course it's going to be a visual, but yeah, the, the stories, um, you know, the, the, the characters and the the writing's brilliant. Yeah, I think so. For, it's think probably it's, one of the deeper Disney franchises ever put together. I mean, story was Certainly one of the darker ones. I remember Gore Verbinski saying uh, he was looking pretty chipper one morning. And uh, he's, I said, well, he was, we were doing the third film, and he said, uh, he said it's great. I, he said, I'm, I'm doing a Disney movie, and I open it by hanging a child. Right, I was going to say, yeah, if it was Gore Verbinski, it was the third actually, one. Yeah. yeah, let's go hang some children today. Today, <laughs> Put the little mouse ears on him before we cut away. Yeah, really. But no, um, you know, I, it, I'm sure it's cool. We're actually going to Disney World in August. We're going to take my, my youngest for her birthday for the first time. And oh, great. she, you know, she, she, she hadn't seen the movies. So I sat down and, and we watched, a, you know, I, I actually told you and I wasn't kidding. We, we started right. we started with the first one, Curse of the Black Pearl. And she actually, she didn't know I was going to have you on the show. And the scene where they find you in the barn. And they throw the bucket of water. It made her laugh so hard, and oh, and from that point on, she was engaged in them. And when we were we're going to end up going through the entire series, but I mean, it's it just it looks like a set that's actually fun to be on over and over again. Absolutely, yeah, it's great. I, I would drop everything to do a pirate film. You know, it, it, it um, was super fun. I, I hope maybe we'll do one more. You know? But I mean, it's just. That that's like one of those like once in a lifetime franchises that comes along that just hits on all the right cylinders and it becomes this beautiful thing for everybody. To me, yeah. Fi- finally, after a month's rehearsal, some of the younger actors got round to talking to me about it the other day, and uh, it was quite interesting talking to them about it because I said it's it's extraordinary to me that um, I've been a part of a lot of your childhoods. You know, um, it's a very rare. Uh, and honourable feeling to um, to affect people like that, and it's sort of a very new sort of celebrity because 
Back in the day, you were either a film star or a character actor. But now, somebody like me who gets involved in a franchise, franchise like this, I'm by no means a film star. I'm a, still a character actor. But I know that I've achieved a level of celebrity around the world that people would have only have dreamed of 50 years ago. Uh, it's extreme. You know, I've been this year. I've been to Russia, to China, to Philippines. Oh, that's awesome! And had adoring fans asking me for my autograph. It's it's really quite humbling in in many ways. Um, and an amazing thing. I mean, how many people? How many people? How, your average actor. How many people can you expect to see their work over a course of a, of a of a career? Well, the answer in my case is about half the planet. Right. Maybe even a bit more. Exactly. It's, it's absolutely, it's mind-boggling if you think about it too much. But, uh, um, but there's, there's such a difference between, it, 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 what, 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 what I like is the diversity of, of, of your body of work. You know, we've talked about the video game you were in, and then, you know, you've got Pirates, and then you've got, you know, Supernatural and Doctor Who, and, and then, you know, of course, the turn, um, I don't. I just. I. I don't know. I. I love Revolutionary War history, but that show just hit me and my wife on a level that a lot of shows haven't. And we. we oh, that's great. We're so invested. How crazy is it to watch? Um, oh, what is his name? Uh, his last name is, is is Rourke. Rourke, right? Um, how crazy is it to watch him turn into Simcoe? Oh, uh, yeah, it's wonderful. It's wonderful to see him do it because, it, and in fact, um, uh, Sam Rukin. Sam Rukin. I was Sam Rukin. Yeah. Sam came in uh, for the pilot and got killed at the end by um, Brewster with a hatchet. And I said to the guys after the read through, I said to the producers, and it wasn't me saying this that made it happen, but I felt inspired to say it. Yeah. I said, if you get rid of that character, you're crazy. And they were thinking exactly the same thing. So we came back when the show got picked up, and the first thing we did was reshot the ending so he got beaten up badly yes. but didn't get killed. And, of course, you know, what an amazing character he is. And, yeah. and of course, wonderful that we've had some wonderful payoff stuff together as well. He's uh, I told him to get out of town. I, I, it was one of my favorite scenes I've ever shot ever. Get out of my town. Get out of my town, you pathetic amateur. <laughs> <laughs> I love... Well, it's funny because, you know, it gets quiet between me and my wife and I'll look over and I'll... Hello, Darby. <laughs> and she, she'll just kind of roll her eyes, but she laughs. And that's become my new way to aggravate her, is to go Simcoe no, in public. Wife, I think, yeah. Is to go full Simcoe on her in public. Full Simcoe. Yeah, uh-huh. Brilliant. I love that. Well, I got home the other day. I had to travel for work this week. I had to go to Tennessee and do a training uh, for work. And... I got home and she was like, well, how was your trip? And I was like, it's fine. And then I let it hang for about 10 seconds. And then I, you didn't ask me about my ear. Like it just, like it just and she's like, shut up, you idiot. <laughs> but that, that's, that's you know, oh my gosh. I just, she, well, the, the other night she was like, look up a video of him. I want to see if that's how he talks in, in his real life. And, and it's not bad. It's no. not bad. And then on the well on the video he's talking about how he came up with that, and he was talking. Oh, do you mean in real life? No, he doesn't talk about that. In real no, life. right. And she was it like, was great because because very often when people are playing baddies, the first thing they do is start talking like this. Do you know what I mean? So to do the opposite and to be very light and like reasonable, right. and then to be a complete psychopath is just a, the greatest choice. But um, when I uh, you have to watch my wife watch an episode of this show because they brought back Hewlett. Well, maybe you should post that as, a, as another of your podcasts. I might, because they brought back Hewlett. And, yeah, and she yeah. went full like, oh, like she loved him so much. Less, and they did, that story arc was so amazing last season for him. And she just, yeah. like a relative she hadn't seen in years, she saw Hewlett come back and she was, oh. So, you know, like, but I have to tell you, I'm getting texts here. Oh. That my um, that turkey, turkey bolognese nearly ready. Everyone must eat before gig. I can't hold you from that, sir. <laughs> but um, thank you so much for coming up. Uh, much. Um, 
what details for for the book can, can, can you give so people can start getting ready for it? And, and um, it's it's going. It's called Sons of Soul. Soul as in Sun. The Sons of Soul. And it'll be coming out in England in October, but I shall be on social media uh, uh, posting full details. And I, I, I might even uh, in October, um, I'm going to get a load of them sent for any convention I'm at. Um, I'll be signing copies of it at conventions. Beautiful. Before before it's even published in America. So that Beautiful. Will be the, uh, yeah. And then um, for people in... Across the pond, they can look forward to your King Lear coming out. Uh, August the tenth to October the fourteenth. Yes, um, we're, I'm in the final week of rehearsals next week, and uh, ready to rock and roll with the Bard. Beautiful. Hey guys, thanks for listening. Like I said, that was an amazing episode. Thank you so much to Mr. McNally for coming on uh, and being so open and just brilliant to talk to. Um, so many things that he's been involved with that we love, and it's cool to see how much he appreciates the communities that have built up around those, and is able to appreciate how much what he works on means to us. And uh, everybody, he is now also an author, so um, definitely keep that on your horizon. As soon as you can get a pre-order in or get your hands on it when it does get released, um, let's show him our love and support by picking up the book. It sounds amazingly hilarious and full of all the sci-fi stuff that we love so uh, once again guys thank you for listening remember to make the world a better place one nerd at a time we'll see you next time see ya